Good afternoon. Good to have you here. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, thanks for joining us today. I'm really keen to get back into Exodus and uh, show you chapter 19, which I've enjoyed looking at this week. So right now we're going to open our Bibles and look at what God has to say to us. I just want to say, though, it's amazing that we had opened the Bible. Not yet. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. You just... Maybe start again. Uh, it's amazing to open the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is the Word of God here at City Light. And he's the one who speaks through His Word. So right now, as we open the Bible, the Creator of the universe is going to speak to us. And that is no small thing. He's here today by the power of His Holy Spirit. And He will speak. And the question is, are we listening? Are we listening? I'm so convinced of the power of God's Word to the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you right now not to treat this as another talk or just another sermon to get through or a time to go to sleep, or a time to zone out, or a time to get your week ahead, but to sit and be still before the Holy God as, you, as He speaks through His Word. That's what I want us to see right now and hear as we, uh, we come to Him. So let me pray in light of that. Let's talk to God. Father, You are not distant. You have not left us in silence. Powerful. Lord, for however we're feeling right now, we want to pray and ask that you would help us just to still our minds and come hungry to hear from a Creator who gives us purpose and meaning, who loves us and shows us who we are. Lord, help us to quiet our minds. For those of us who don't know you, who are skeptical, Lord, speak powerfully. Reveal yourself to us. Show us the glory of Jesus. We may too join in worshipping with the saints. So Lord, as your word is open, help me, your servant, to be faithful, to get out of the way, and just to allow you to speak to us. We hunger for you, we want more of you. And so Lord, bless our time now in your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we begin, I just thought it would be a good thing to gauge just how we're feeling about the Disney remakes going on. Beauty and the Beast, we've had Aladdin, Lion King just came out, Mulan out soon as well, which I'm pretty excited about. And um, show of hands, who likes, the who likes the new films better than the originals? Anyone? Nah, see, everyone's like, boo, you know, right? Originals, me too, classic guy, I'm a classic guy, give me Angela Lansbury, Mrs. Potts, any day. Um, who's seen the new Lion King? Anyone seen it yet? Oh, a few have seen it. Yeah, I, hear, I haven't heard it yet, but I hear that the lions can't show facial expressions, so it's hard to see if they're happy or sad. Ah, you know, I might wait till he comes out on DVD. Anyway, um, I, I'm a classic guy. I grew up on the classics. I think I was about 10 or 12 when they first came out, and I still love them today. It's great having kids. You can watch movies with them that you really enjoy and make them watch them, which is great. And what I love about the uh, Disney movies is it's a very similar themes and storyline that come through all of them. You know, good guy, win, uh, good guy wins, bad guy loses, twist in the middle, very meat and three veg. You know what you're getting. I love that. That's, that's me. But they have a lot of themes, very similar themes run throughout these Disney classics. And the thing that you will see again and again in these Disney movies is this real push to be who you are. Be, be yourself. Don't hide who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Don't run from who you are, but live out who you are. And we see when the characters uh, run away from this, then things go bad. When they run towards this, things go well. 
You know, think of the story of Aladdin. This uh, Aladdin, now's the time. Hit it, Divot. Yeah, thanks, man. You got it now. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Aladdin tries to hide his humble background, wants to be a prince, gets the three wishes. Genie makes him a prince. He's not really a prince. He's just a humble, a humble servant, he says. And uh, he gets exposed. Things go bad. But when he uh, embraces who he is, things work out well. Beauty and the Beast. There it is. Um, here, the Beast, you know, that graphic steer, angry at the world. But deep down, he's just a great guy. And once he shows that to Belle and she loves him, and then things work out and he becomes a handsome prince. Works. Uh, you look at the story of Mulan, uh, which uh, she enters the, this army which for, for, for men only, and uh, she tries to pretend she's a guy, can fight in this army, and they, she ends up being exposed and kicked out, but it's when they pa- see past her gender and embrace her for her inner strength, they see uh, what, a, what a great person she is. She flourishes. And the classic, my favorite, The Lion King. Um, uh, you see Simba runs from who he is. His dad is the king, Mufasa. He's the heir to the throne. His dad dies. Sorry to spoil that. It's 25 years. You can, I can do that now, right? But his dad dies. He's the rightful king. And, uh, but he runs from this, and he purposely forgets who he is. He, he tries to deny who he is and says, it's not for me. And things go bad for the kingdom and for his family. And it's only when his dad appears to him, and he says that key line, remember who you are. He says, be who you are. Remember who you are. You are the rightful king. Go and rule as the king. And he's calling him to live out who he is. And when he does, it goes well for him. And you hear this Disney's preaching back then, this theme of be who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are, but live out who you are. Today we begin the second half of the book of Exodus, 19 to 40. This main theme we're going to hear from God really is, is be who you are. Live out who you are. You can lose Lion King now if you'd like to. That's, just, that's it. Thank you. Uh, live out who you are. Back to the first half of the book, uh, uh, 1 to 18, we had God rescuing his people. It's really God doing the work to take them out of slavery from under the might of Egypt and Pharaoh. And the first 19 chapters is all about God doing the work. God showing the Israelites and the Egyptians that I'm the powerful Lord alone. There's no one like me. And I will rescue you. And you get this amazing uh, verse from 14.14, which sums up really the first half of the book, which says, the Lord will fight for you. They just have to be still. Just watch. God's saying, be still. I got it. It's God rescuing. God delivers his people from slavery. Now, the second half of the book, 19 to 40, is all about living this freedom out that God has achieved. They've been set free, and God is going to show them how to live out this freedom. God has rescued them and set them free for a purpose uh, and to be his people as they were created to be. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to see what this purpose is and what it looks like for the Israelites to live this out. So my hope for the next seven weeks as we look at this story of the Exodus and if we see Israel being set free for a purpose and called to be who they are and, and, and God has purchased them, is that we too, as we reflect on who we are, we too have been set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we would celebrate all we have in Jesus. That we too have been set free for a purpose. That we too can rejoice that we've been cast out of slave from sin and death and hell and Satan. That our debt, our sin has been paid for in full and we bear it no more. And we can celebrate and live out that freedom which Christ has achieved for us. And my hope is we would rejoice in that as a people, as a church, as individuals. And we would see that it's worth rejoicing over. I don't know about you, but 
I think for me, and I think for us too, we can become often so, so blasé and so uh, um, lukewarm to this fact that we've been set free. We hear it so often, and so we just hear it so many, so many times, we just become used to it almost. And it doesn't really affect us or move our soul anymore. You know, I know for me, I get so caught up in my head, in, in, in my own world, and I become so used to the fact that, this, that I'm loved by my Creator, and that is shown in Jesus, that I'm free, that I'm a child of God. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that already. And I don't think about it. I think so similar to what I was saying about the Disney films. When I forget that I'm a loved child of God, when I forget that I've been given all things in Jesus, when I forget those things, things often go bad for me. They go bad. When I push God's periphery, things go bad for me. See, we were not made to navel gaze. We were created to look up to God and to know Him and draw near to Him and live out that freedom and showing His love to others. That's what we were made for. So my hope for my soul and your soul in this next little chunk of Exodus is that we would rejoice in Jesus. We would rejoice in being set free and live at all it means to be a a child of God. It's the hope for the next uh, section of Exodus. If you're taking notes, want to track where I'm going, here is my three points of where I'm going to move to, my outline. It's who they are, be who they are, and draw near as they are. So a bit of context to so, uh, we, we, where we're up to in the story of the Bible here. Uh, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Um, we've seen the story so far from creation. God made the world, he made humanity, and uh, to be in a loving relationship with him. And in his presence, drawing near to God, humanity sinned and rebelled against God. And therefore, humanity was cast out of his presence. Could no longer be near a holy God because we are a flawed, fallen, sinful uh, sinful beings, and so our sin separates us from Him, from His presence. And the rest of the story of the Bible and about, is about God restoring humanity back to Himself, a rescue mission, this fractured relationship bringing us back to Him again, and really dealing with this biggest problem of, a, of, of sin and a humanity that has fallen. And the rest of the Bible is trying to pick up this issue of rescue that God brings people back to Himself. And we read in Genesis that... Um, God begins his rescue plan through a man named Abraham. And he says, through you, Abraham, I'm going to rescue the world. Through you and your family, I'm going to rescue the world. And so the rest of the Bible is tracking Abraham's family, the the nation of Israel. Because God's promises is, I'm going to rescue humanity and fix this sin problem through this one family, Israel. The book of Exodus, second book, is all about God rescuing his people and bringing them to himself and saving them and showing them and then rescuing them and showing them how to live as a freed People. And that's where we are now in chapter 19, them living out their freedom that God has given them um, by, and rescued them. So here's where we are. So chapter 19, 1 to 3, we're going to kick off here. It says this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the, into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So here we read, it's been three months, so third new moon, roughly three months since they've come through the, through the Red Sea, and they're there, and they're encamped at Sinai. And really here, what, what we read here is, finally they've arrived after, after being freed from uh, slavery. Uh, Exodus 3.12, you read that before at the burning bush where, Moses met, uh, where God met Moses, um, 
You hear, Mo, you hear God saying to Moses, I will bring you back to this mountain where you will serve me. That's Mount Sinai. So the slavery is done. Now they've arrived where God, has, God wants them to serve him. So they've arrived now. But look carefully at what God says here in Genesis 3 to 5. I'm going to read this to you. It says this. The Lord called, out, uh, called to him out of the mountain, saying to Moses, thus you, uh, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So they've arrived out of slavery, and what does God start by? What does He start to say? By, what's the first thing He says to His freed people? Here's what He says He reminds them of who they are, of who they are. Before they are to live out being His freed people, they need to remember who they are. Now, this is how God works in the whole Bible, really. Uh, whenever God always, whenever, um, whenever God wants someone to do something, he firstly starts with who they are. It's always their identity before obedience. It's him setting them free for a purpose. But if we just to stop and think for a second about Israel, of who they are, what they've been through, I think we understand why God does this. So think about Israel for a second. They have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now, I think when I, when I thought about this, I haven't really thought that hard about this before, but they have been enslaved for 400 years. Imagine the amount of psycho psychological damage done to a people in that time. 400 years of slavery. Imagine giving birth to a child or being a parent of a child and saying, your whole life you'll be enslaved. You'll be suppressed. You'll be, treat, you'll be treated subhuman for your whole life. Can you imagine what Israel think of themselves then? And how they understand themselves, and understand themselves in this world. They are worthless. They would have lost sight of who they are. And on top of that, they've been indoctrinated by false stories of false gods and worship in Egypt. They've suffered physical, emotional, and psychological trauma that is distinct among those who have suffered the cruelty of slavery for 400 years. They would have been wounded, scared, confused, depressed, and just utterly desperate. They would have forgotten who they are. When they're treated that way for so long, surely you would take on that I am nothing, I'm worthless. So God, what does he do? He begins by reminding them of who they really are. He's redefining how they should live and think about themselves in a broken world. He is restoring his people. He's restoring them. And God, by rescuing his people, he's saying to them, no, that is not who you are. How you were treated doesn't define who you are. You are not slaves, you are not worthless, you are not less than human. How you were treated in Egypt does not reflect on you as people, and God rescues them and sets them free. And then here at Mount Sinai, once he's rescued, he wants to reaffirm to them who they are. He says, you are my treasured possession. That's who you are, my treasured possession. And God wants them to know they belong to him as the king of the universe. That's who they are. As I, uh, as I mentioned a few times, I've played different sports over the years. And during those years, I've had a bunch of different injuries. Very injury prone. So uh, dislocated knees, dislocated kneecaps, dislocated shoulders, uh, torn ligaments, stitches in my face from head clashes. Been knocked out a few times, which explains a lot, I think. Um, been knocked out three times, twice playing rugby, once playing cricket. 
and that was by my, I was fielding, uh, and I dived behind one of my own players to get the ball. He didn't see me. He turned around, lifted his knee up, straight in the side of my head, got knocked down, got back up again, and then sort of stood there for a bit. And then I looked around, and I thought, everyone's wearing white. Have I died and gone to heaven? You know, cricket like this, like, Bah! Anyway, and, um, and, uh, and then things got a bit more hazy, and then I started looking at thinking, where am I? What am I doing here? And then I just sat down on the ground and was like, what are you doing? And then I can't remember anything for the next two hours. Wake up, sitting on the sideline next to Katie, and, um, and I was so confused. I couldn't recall who I was or what I did during the week or anything. So I was just peppering Katie with questions. I didn't really know who she was either while she was sitting next to me. And just like, what are you doing? And... Um, and I was getting really agitated. I started to freak out because I couldn't recall who I was or what I did. And at the time, I didn't have a full-time job. I was doing a part, bunch of part-time weird jobs all over the place. And she was trying to answer me what I did for a job. And she was like stumbling because she knew that I wasn't doing much and I wasn't doing much. And then like, but what do I do, Katie? And she's like, oh, you don't really do anything. Um, and, um, but it was really horrible to, to not know who you are or what you do or what defines you. And I think Israel had forgotten who they were, and God needs to restore them and remind them that they are His. They are His treasured possession. This language of treasured possession is normally used for a king's private treasury, a king's special possession, his personal treasure that is His, that He holds onto. And God is using this same language about Israel. He's saying, You are mine, you are my special possession. And he's saying, do not define yourselves by the past or how you were treated, but rather define yourself by me, the king of the universe, who says, who I'm saying, you are mine. And God goes to the lengths again to remind them what he did for them. Sentence four, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How what? I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. And it's God, this picture of God, this mighty eagle who is powerful. Who, who, who has his wings out and he's comforting and providing provision, this guardian care for his people, and he will defeat anyone who comes against them. And you notice where God brings them to. He says, to myself, I've brought you to myself. I haven't just rescued him and said, good luck. He's bringing him to himself, to his presence. Not by Israel's doing, but by God himself, walking them back into intimacy in, in his presence. Not because of their merits, because of him. And then Israel to live out being God's freed people. And they'll experience the blessing of that if they obey and follow. That's who they are. After hundreds of years being told lies, God is now saying, here's who you are. Define yourself by this, you're mine. They are loved and free and treasured by the king of the universe. They are not to define themselves by their past and their slavery, but as new people as his. Israel, before being told how to live out their freedom, needed to remind them, be reminded of who they are. So you can't truly joyfully obey if you don't know who you are. You know, uh, religion says, I obey so God might accept me. God says, you're accepted, then you obey. There's a difference there. See that? Religion says you obey so God might accept you. God says you're accepted in light of that you obey. So identity before obedience. And I think, I know for me, I think I often find it hard to follow Jesus when I forget who I am. 
when I forget what God has done for me, when I forget my purpose in this world. And I long to see myself as God sees me, to live in light of that day by day. It's crazy to think the God of the universe, and I read and understand it, the God of the universe says, because of Jesus, you are right, you're my child, I love you, I cannot love you anymore. That's who you are. And I think we often think, nah, I'm not doing that well at the moment, or that's not who I am, or, you know, my past is defining me, it's not enough for me at the moment. And we, we make God out to be a liar. And so we have to work hard. We, we go to things and try and, in our own strength to define ourselves by our achievements. We work hard to prove that we are worth something rather than resting in God's opinion. It's like we are, we are, like, it's like we are free and we go back to enslave ourselves again to prove ourselves. And it's so tiring and it's so futile because it's never enough. And we run to things like career and money and jobs and, and relationships and, and, and parenting or, or, or whatever it is, we run to that and try and define ourselves by these stuff that's never enough. And when it goes well, we go well. When it goes bad, we're like, oh, we're horrible again. Whereas God, the universe is saying to us, I love you as you are. Use those things as free gifts to enjoy. But do not define yourself by those things. You are free. We try and fix up our past and try and pull our socks up and do better. But God is saying, forget that. I've done that. I love you. I want to say this afternoon, right here, right now, I need to hear this, we need to hear this, that you are God's treasured possession. You may not feel that. You may not believe that. You may think, but, you know, Gav, you don't know my past. God knows it, and he loves you as you are. And it's not because you've done this. It's not about potential in you. It's not about what you may or may not do for God. It's because of him, and he says, you are made in my image, and I love you as you are. And he's saying, rest in my love and enjoy the freedom that is found in being loved by your king. And that's something that I need to hear every day and we need to hear. We cannot hear it enough. And this is what God wants us to know, wants you to know this afternoon. And that's why God starts with this for the Israelites, saying, remember who you are. Then after he's established that, he calls them then to live out that freedom. Secondly, he calls them to be who they are. Have a look at sentences 5 and 6 with me. It says this. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's saying, you are my treasured possession, and you'll experience that blessing if you obey and live in light of that truth. You'll experience the blessing of that. And the purpose of them being set free is that he says there later on, there will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now God's saying, I've set you free to be this, this kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's their purpose now. But what does that mean? Well, this language of a kingdom of priests, uh, this is language of, in the Old Testament, in fact, the Old Testament, the priests, their basic role was to represent God to the people and the people to God. That was their role, this mediator sort of role. That was their job. And so God is now calling all of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. That is to represent him, not just to one another, but to all peoples of the world. See, God is on about restoring all people back to himself. But through Israel, he will, he will restore um, relationship with the whole world through this one nation. And their role is to be a representative of God to the whole world on God's rescue mission. 
The world could not see God, but through Israel and how they live out being free people, they can see him through this people. And this is a huge, important task. God's whole purpose here is to restore humanity back to, the, back to himself. And he's saying, okay, Israel, you're my nation. I'm going to do it through you. That's your job, to restore the whole world back to me. Be my representatives on the earth. And this fits with this part of God calling them, calling them to be a holy nation. As they live out being a holy nation, they reflect God who is holy, who is distinct, who is other. His character is perfect. And Israel are called to, to, to aspire to be like this. Their character is to be like God's. And later on, next chapter, chapter 20, the Ten Commandments fit in that. The Ten Commandments are based on who God is and what He is like. And God's saying, be like me. That's who they're to be, reflecting Him, a holy nation. They have to live distinct lives that display the character of God to everyone around them. That's their purpose of being free. Back when I was in my late teens, early 20s, um, a game that I really enjoyed playing was rugby. And we were having a really good season, this one season. And each and every game, my mum, my dad, my grandfather would come along and stand on the sideline and watch. And I can remember as games that I played well, uh, they would be so proud and my, my grandfather especially would come and find me. I'd like straight after the game and wanted to make sure that everyone knew that I was his grandson. Almost like he's taking credit for what has happened, right? <laughs> but funny enough, when I didn't play well, he didn't seem to come and find me. It was weird. Just a weird coincidence, I guess. Anyway, um, <laughs> but that, that, that's, uh, what was happening was, as, as a son, as a grandson, uh, how I played sport, but how I did life uh, and uh, how I acted reflected on my family, on the family name. And you see this all the time, where in the media especially, when someone does something amazing, a great achievement, or other end, someone does something horrible, the media will go and try and interview the parents, or the brother, or the sister, or the grandparent, or whatever it is, because they know that how a, how a child uh, lives out and, and, and um, uh, whatever they do reflects on the family name. And I feel this as a parent, like how my kids live and act reflects upon me as a parent and our family name. It's what God's doing here with his people Israel. They're his chosen people. They're his children. And how they live out who they are, being a kingdom of priests, reflects on him. And that's this purpose he is giving them. They are saved. They are set free to show God, their heavenly father, to the rest of the world, to what, what he is like. Living out, being the people of God. Living out their freedoms. That's what they were made for. This is the purpose God gives his people. But he gives it to all his freed people, not just Israel, but also to us. Have a look at this. This is from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And see if you can hear a very similar language to Exodus 19 that Peter picks up. Peter is writing here to followers of Jesus, to the church that have been scattered throughout Asia Minor just after Jesus has risen and gone back to heaven again, who are now being persecuted. He says this to them the church, but you as the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. It's this similar language of Exodus 19 that he uses here. You followers of Jesus, you church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. It's God's treasured possession. That's who they are. That's their identity first. Why? He says it goes on. Uh, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him that is God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Identity first, then purpose second. This is what he's setting up here with the followers of Jesus. And Peter is saying here, reformed sinners make the best evangelists. Speaking out of their experience of coming into the light. I once was this, but now I'm this. I've seen the glory of Jesus and sharing of that experience. What Peter's calling to do. Peter's saying we've been saved for a purpose, to be who we are. God's people, God's children. People belonging to him, reflecting God to the world around us. Speaking of this light that we've seen in Christ and we are loved by him and set free from him. We're to proclaim the hope we have, the hope, this freedom from fear and from fear from fear from death and from sin and shame, and proclaim how that came about. That's what Peter is saying here. Just like Israel being called to do this. And we've called also to be a holy nation. We as a church are to live distinct lives, to be different, to be salt and light, as Jesus says in Matthew 5. And it's the difference that we, that, and how we live our lives that makes people question why we live the way we do. In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may accuse you of wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he visits. Peter's saying holiness matters. How you live matters as followers of Jesus. We're to live lives worth questioning then give answers worth hearing. That's what Peter is saying here. How we live matters. Holy nation, kingdom of priests. That's how what God has done. He has set us free we may represent him to our world that longs to know and point people to the light that has set us free out of the darkness. How are we to do this, though? How are we to do this? How are we to live this life continually? Well, I want to suggest, my final point, it's by drawing near. We've been set free to draw near. In the end of chapter 19, we see that God comes down from heaven on the Mount Sinai. Have a look at sentence 9 of 19, Exodus 19. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and may also believe you forever. God is saying, My presence is coming down. I'm going to come down to my people. And then in 16, 16 to 20, uh, he comes down. Look at this. Um, he says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on a mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire, and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly, and, the, and the, at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. God descends, God comes down on the mountain. And it's a powerful sight, fire, smoke, mountain trembling, massively overwhelming. The God of the universe is coming down to be with his people that can draw near to him. And at 16, we hear the people are freaking out, they are trembling, and why wouldn't you be? Um, this is of the right entrance of a holy God, a God who is powerful, who created the universe with words, who is transcendent, who no one can see. He's coming down this mountain, and he's actually to be treated lightly or approached carelessly. There's a problem here, though. This holy God is coming down to, 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 to dwell among his people, but the people are still sinful. They are unholy. They are not righteous. And so they cannot come together. They cannot draw near. In sentences 10 to 15, 
God tells the people to get clean, to wash their clothes, abstain from anything that make you unclean, and they can't even touch the mountain or go close to it, because if they do, they're going to be knocked down dead. There's this issue of an unholy, a holy God and unholy people. They cannot draw near. And this is the whole issue of the Bible, is how can God be restored, his presence be restored back to his people that are flawed, that are, that are, that are sinful. And we see this issue played out right here. The people cannot draw near. And this is the big problem the Bible is trying to answer. Until we get to down here, we see the answer is Jesus. I want to show you one last passage from one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, and it says this. Here's our answer. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience that our bodies, and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews tells us here, the writer of Hebrews tells us we can approach God now, that is the most holy place. That's where God dwelt in the, uh, in the, in the temple, the Old Testament temple, in the most holy place that no one could enter apart from a high priest once a year. But now the writer is saying we can approach that place with confidence. We can come near to God with confidence. How? He says, by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he sacrificed on our behalf, paying for all our sins once and for all. He has cleansed us and made us clean in God's sight. And we've been declared righteous. And now because of Jesus, it says, we can approach God with confidence. We can enter his presence. We no longer need to be held at an arm's distance. We can come near with confidence. This holy, powerful, transcendent God that no one could see and live, we can now approach him because we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And this is what every single Old Testament Israelite longed to do, longed for this day, to come to the presence of God, to intimately know this God and approach him. But they could never do it. But now we can because of Jesus. And more than this, the writer of Hebrews says he calls us to draw near, not just have access and when you want it. He's saying, no, no, come to him. Take this up, what is in Jesus. God calls us to come. Come as you are. Come with your request, with your thanksgiving, with your praise. Enter my presence with full assurance, knowing that you can trust him and he loves you and he calls you. And we can trust him that he loves us even when we don't love ourselves. We can trust him that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he still says, come to me. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you're like. But come. I've washed you clean. Hebrews tells us that we have a guilty conscience being cleansed. It's been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And we can come without guilt, without shame. We can enter the presence of the living God. I don't know about you, but I, I read this and I, I, I too often take this for granted. I read passages like Exodus 19, Isaiah 6, Job 38 and 39, which speak all of this powerful, transcendent God who speaks and the world shakes and trembles. It's crazy to think that I, a mere human, can, is, is able to draw near with confidence to a creator who loves and cares and who knows me intimately. Even though I stuff up and I sin, I let him down. He doesn't hold that against me. He doesn't say to me, Gav, sort that out. Do better and then come and see me. 
Or would you stop doing that? And if you don't stop doing that, stay away. He doesn't say that. He says, come to me. I know you. Draw near. He's saying to me, what union is more of me and less of you? Come. I've made the way. Come with full assurance. My son has made you right. This, this is worth rejoicing over. This is worth celebrating. Our greatest need, our greatest problem, sin is being cleansed once and for all, and we can enter God's presence with confidence. But the whole Bible has been pointing towards us come in Christ. And I think that my apathy, our apathy of being able to draw in needs to be repented of. And we need to celebrate, be thankful and full of praise and take up what is ours in Jesus and draw near as children of the living God, knowing He knows what we need. And I want to say, as we grasp this and understand and celebrate being children of God, as we, as we are set free and draw near to Him, this desire then, I think, to be a holy people, to be a kingdom of priests, to declare what has happened to us, will come more naturally to us. And we grab hold that we are free children of the living God and believe that and live in light of that. This call then to share the praises of Him becomes more a natural flow on. I don't know about you, I find it hard to share Jesus because I'm so worried what others think of me. But the more I sit in the confidence of being a loved child of God, that is who I am, the more it flows out of me like, I'm a child of God, I want you to know this so you can join me as well. We need to know who we are, freed people, children of God, drawing near to Him so that we'll go out and share and proclaim Him, the hope of the world. Let's be a people who rejoice in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Our great and mighty God, we want to, we want to ask that our hearts would repent of being able to approach you, of coming to your presence. We read the story of the Exodus and, and Exodus 19 and how the Old Testament, how people long to see what we see. People long to have the access to you that we have. Lord, our hearts grow cold. We grow weary. We grow comfortable. Lord, we want to pray that you would revive us, that we would see again afresh the amazing access we have to you through Christ. Help us to treasure Jesus above all things. Help us to look up to you, not down to ourselves. We know we, know we were not made to look at our own selves. We are made to look up to you and out to others. Lord, thank you so much. We can have access to you. Help us to draw near. Help us to have more of you and less of ourselves. Lord, help us to see clearer Jesus it is to be loved by Him. Lord, grow our weary hearts. Stoke a new fire in our hearts for You. Lord, help us start again tomorrow. Your mercies are anew each day. And if we have grown cold to You, Lord, revive a fire in us. Lord, help us to start it right now. Lord, as we stand to sing praises to you, we want to pray that these songs that we sing are not just mere words on a screen, that we are celebrating you. 
we're reminding each other of how good it is to be known by you. And we're also singing direct praises to you. We want to celebrate that right now as we stand and sing these three songs. These words will be never truer for us. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the hope we have in Him. We pray it all in His name. Amen.